Um, we're in the middle of our fall campaign uh, series, which is called Perfect Love. And we're looking at the love of God for us and how that changes us, transforms our lives and turns us into different people. And uh, sometimes that transformation is slow. Sometimes it happens um, in ways we, we don't always recognize, but there is a transformation uh, that we need to be um, going through. And so as we're going through this series, that's what we're, we're uh, studying. First John is uh, the, the letter we're going through. Today we're First John chapter 3. If you want to turn there in your Bible, we have a, a memory verse or actually a couple verses we're working on. First uh, John 4, 7 and 8. And uh, when I was a kid, there was a song that I learned that helped me memorize this, but it's in the King James Version. And so we got, I'm uh, learning this along with you in um, the New Living Translation. So can you say this? Uh, can we say this together? Um, then we'll take some words out and we'll say it again, working on memorizing it here. Um, here we go from the beginning. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. All right, here we go. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love is from God. Anyone who loves is born of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Good job. We're getting there. Uh, over the last few weeks, as we work through this letter, um, the Apostle John's been impressing on us, of course, the love of God and how that allows us to have fellowship with God and how that needs to translate into changes in our lives. And this week, he's going to move into our relationship with each other. And so the title of the message is, let's really, I put that in quotes, let's really love each other. Um, there's an authenticity that we're called to, a genuineness in our love for each other. We certainly know that we um, can love people and we're supposed to love people. But to genuinely love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ can be a little challenging. And so today, uh, the apostle's given us um, a lesson and pressing into what it looks like if we really do love each other. The things that we'll do, the behaviors that we'll have towards each other. Um, when I was a young man, first out of uh, high school, went to a Bible college in Omaha, and there I met Mary, uh, who um, is my wife now. We got married after a couple of years in college. My first year there, I got to, I tried out for the basketball team, and uh, I had played one year in high school, my senior year of high school, and so I really, I wasn't real great. I didn't know a lot about the game. I was still kind of learning, but I tried out for the team, and somehow I made it, and so um, I got a little opportunity there to play on that team, and there was an older group of guys. They were seniors, I think, that year. They had played together all four years. They were really good. One of them was the coach's son, and I mean, they were high level. They were, they were I mean, they won a lot. They played together well, and uh, they just, they, they were really good. And so um, I think there was two of us freshmen that made the team. I was one of them. And so we we're kind of outsiders a little bit, didn't quite fit in. And, and again, I wasn't real great. I was trying to learn and so work really hard and all that stuff. But um, I remember in one game, I started to see some playing time. And in one game, uh, we're trying to run this motion offense, man-to-man -man offense. And so, I'm, again, I'm a little nervous. I don't know exactly what I'm doing, but I get the ball passed to me. And I'm kind of standing at the bottom of the key and I'm, I'm looking 
I know there's supposed to be people that I could pass to. If they're open, I don't really see anybody open. I get a little nervous, and so I just quickly shoot the ball. Now, it went in. Okay, so that was the good news. But, um, but that's kind of the level of my ability. And I remember hearing after the game, the coach's son, who was one of the seniors and really the captain of the team, he thought I made a poor decision here. He was kind of frustrated with me because I didn't pass the ball. And I thought, well, okay, you know, whatever. I'm trying to learn, man. At least I made the shot, you know. Well, uh, time goes on. And uh, we graduate from school and Mary and I are married and we have our first child and we move back to her family farm in Sargent, uh, between Sargent and Broken Bow, Nebraska, where her great, great, great grandfather had homesteaded in 1883 and her dad was still farming and her brother moved back the same year that we did and we started working together and, um, we were trying to learn to work together. He, of course, grew up on the farm. I'm brand new to it, so I'm trying to pick things up. And one of the things that we really got good at was coyote hunting. <laughs> we got really good at that. And uh, his sister, older sister, she even had a saying that if you have two boys, you have half a boy, you know, because we didn't get a ton of work done always. But, um, but anyway, we're learning and growing. And I remember working together. Um, he was a year, I think, a year or two younger than me. And so we're talking about stuff. And one day basketball came up because uh, we had both gone to the same college and he played on the team too. And so this conversation came up. We're talking about basketball and memories and it goes back. And all of a sudden, what comes out of my mouth um, are some pretty harsh uh, comments about some of these guys that I played with that were this uh, group of seniors, particularly one um, who was the coach's son who had been frustrated with me. And I'll be honest, I had no idea that I was still um, angry about that, but it came out of my mouth. And so um, I had to recognize that there were some unresolved issues in my heart. And I had to work through those things um, to work towards forgiveness and moving on. And uh, I think I was able to do that. But this week in our message, the apostle John is pressing us with how we relate to other people, other believers, especially how do we relate to them? And what is the nature of our relationship? And are we really growing in our love for others? John is famous in all of his writings for pressing into love. And he really challenges that we can't claim to love God if we don't love others. And we really can't claim to love God if we hate others. And so he really challenges our spiritual health and, and our maturity and are we growing? And he uses that, how are we relating to other people to be a barometer of our spiritual health and growth? And so that can be challenging. That can be difficult at times. As we look at this passage, we're starting um, 1 John chapter 3 in verse 11, and we're working through the end of the chapter. He gives us some characteristics of this real love that we're called to. And he says, this is authentic, it's real, it comes from God, and here's what it should look like. And so the first characteristic we see in the first couple of verses is that real love rejects jealousy. Real love rejects jealousy. Let's read the first couple of verses, starting in verse 11. This is the message you've heard from the beginning meaning the beginning of when you trusted Christ. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. Why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Uh, I think what we see here with Cain and Abel, this some of the first two human beings is an issue that Cain has with jealousy 
towards his brother. I'll read the story in a minute from Genesis 4 to remind us of Cain and Abel and the situation there. But, but Cain is really jealous of Abel because Abel presents a sacrifice to God and it's accepted. And Cain offers a sacrifice to God and it's rejected. And so he gets downcast, he gets frustrated, he gets upset and he looks at Abel and says, why um, does he get his offering received? Why is he getting favored, right? And so I think this is something that we struggle with, the idea of jealousy and viewing how other people are treated and what we have to deal with sometimes. And why is it that we have to go through the struggles we go through? Or why is it that what I try doesn't work and it seems like that person gets everything they want or everything they do seems to uh, succeed? And we can struggle with this um, even as believers. And so um, really there's a challenge in this that John is going to give us related to how we view other people and how we walk in righteousness. And uh, just to read the story again, to remind us of Cain and Abel, if you've never heard it, it's a pretty challenging story and it's indicative of um, some problems that we need to be careful of because there's an attitude and, uh, and there's, a, there's a, a path that we can go down that leads to uh, really, um, really harmful ends. Genesis 4 verse 1, starting verse 1 says, now Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant when she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry. He looked dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out in the fields. And while they were there in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. For uh, from now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. God punishes Cain, obviously, for what he's done. But the, the, the cautionary note that the Apostle John is using the story of Cain to give us caution regarding is how we handle relationships with other people and how we respond to what happens to them. He certainly says that the world is going to view you negatively because you're doing what's righteous and they're not. And so you're going to get treated poorly because of that. There's also a condition that occurs within the church where someone is, um, seems to be getting things that we're not and we re can respond with jealousy. The antidote or the opposite to jealousy, of course, is to celebrate the success of others to be happy when others get promotions, when they get blessed, when things work for them. Can we celebrate the victories and the wins and the blessings that others receive? 
And can we correctly see our own blessings that come from God? Jealousy is a corruptive character trait. It reflects evil that's in our heart. And there's a warning here, John is saying. We don't want to be like Cain. He belonged to the evil one. He was acting in ways that led to destruction. This is not how love should manifest itself in our lives. The next character trait that we see or characteristic of real love in this passage is that real love will soften our hearts, soften them. Let's keep reading in verse 14 of chapter three. If we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. Any believer who hates a brother or sister is a murderer at heart. Now, John, this is an extreme statement. I mean, to hate someone is certainly can't be the same as murdering them. We know those are different things. I mean, when my kids were in trouble, you know, I'd be getting on them about something. Sometimes one of them would say, well, dad, at least I haven't killed anybody. And I'd be like, man, I'm so glad you didn't kill anybody. Um, we're both celebrating that here. Good job at trying to deflect what you're in trouble for. But, um, but you know, the point is that, yeah, God has asked us not to murder. And we certainly see it in the law in the Old Testament. It seems like a basic standard. But John is saying there's something more here. There's a deeper issue. In fact, if we have hatred, if we've allowed our hearts to get to that place, then we can be guilty of the same thing. Now, where is he coming up with this? Well, he's quoting really Jesus who told his disciples to teach the new believers that they led to the Lord um, to obey everything he commanded. And so if we look back at Matthew chapter five, verse 21, we see Jesus teaching on this. He says, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, even if you, um, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember someone has something against you, then leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. As hard as it is to grapple with this, the truth is that our emotions directed at people based on what they've done to us or what happens to us is really an indicator of our heart towards them. And so... John is pressing um, really what Jesus pressed, which is there's something more expected of us. As followers of Jesus, we're called to love, really love others, not just um, not, just, uh, not kill them, right? Or not, not respond by harming them, um, but really to have a genuine desire to care for them and care about them. And so the thing that we find is as the love of God changes us, and as we interact with the love of God, it softens our hearts not sharpens them and our anger subdues and, and drops away. And John is pushing this same thing that Jesus taught. Anger is an emotion and often it comes as a result of hurt. Um, and so a lot of times our anger, when we respond in anger, it's because we have hurts 
And sometimes it's hurt coming from the person and we respond in anger to it, right? But other times we have kind of anger bubbling under the surface and it pops out at times and it kind of scares the people that love us and people around us like, what's wrong, you know? And, and sometimes we wonder what's wrong. I've heard recently uh, that perhaps some of the issues that, that um, folks can have with alcohol can be related to unresolved hurts, things that haven't been healed in our hearts. And so remember that Celebrate Recovery is a ministry we have on Wednesday nights to help bring about healing. It's not a trite or trivial thing to experience healing and to say, okay, God, with your help, I want to do a deep dive into my life and interact with you and discover what it is that perhaps is there that's unresolved. Hurts are things that can sneak up on us. Like I said, from my story in the beginning, it's not something I even knew was there. And yet it was. And so sometimes we're aware of it. Other times we're not. John gives us the motivation though to get healing and to move away from that way of reacting to people and treating people. And it is the love of God for us. The love of God for us. Jesus didn't come with judgment when he came. He came with grace and mercy and love. He came to heal and to pull us back into himself. And so John shocks us a little bit with this connection between anger, right? And, and our reaction to people and what that really shows about us that we're moving really in the same direction as a murderer. And it means that we're not really reflecting that God is present in our lives. And so I know this is difficult. Some of us, I know some of you, this isn't really that hard. You don't really get offended easily and just kind of roll with things. And, and that's awesome, man, what a gift. And then others of us, it's a struggle. You might have to battle and work and fight a little bit to get to the place that um, John is challenging us to go. So here's some things that might help those of us who struggle. Um, I know I've had to work through this process, still do at times. And that is... Um, like I said in the story in the beginning, when you notice there's something there, when you see it or hear it come out of your mouth or you recognize it's there, I think the first thing, the first step is to acknowledge where hatred or anger or bitterness exists in your heart. Acknowledge it. I know some folks just have that sense of denial. No, no, I'm not, I'm not upset with anybody. I'm not angry about anything. And yet um, you can kind of tell they are at times. And so I think it's good to be honest with ourselves and before God, the next step is to confess. That's what I had to do, confess it. And of course, confession is to acknowledge it to God with a sense of remorse. Like, I don't want to have that kind of reaction to somebody. I don't want to um, have that kind of uh, hardness or anger or bitterness in my heart towards them. And First John 1, 9, which we went through, um, I think the first week of this series, you know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so confession before God. Next is to forgive the offense uh, and the offender in your heart before God. And of course, that story I told in the beginning, I had to begin to work on that as I um, recognized it before God. And I had to, okay, I need to forgive and then, you know, um, begin that process of forgiveness. And that can take some time sometimes to get to the place of forgiveness, but you begin to do it. And, uh, and I am a big believer in saying it out loud and speaking the words out loud um, that uh, I forgive them. And then in the midst of this, sometimes you'll acknowledge or recognize that you might've done something uh, to cause an offense or a hurt as well. And so it's good to stop, like Jesus said in Matthew 5, and if you recognize on your way to worship, right, you're gonna go worship God that you have wronged somebody, then take a moment to make it right, ask for forgiveness. 
Um, that's very powerful and healing and, and reflects a good heart and a humble heart. Next, uh, something you can do is ask God to soften your heart towards them and, uh, and just say, God, would you please help me have a softer heart in the direction of a person that's maybe hurt me or, or offended me. I think the next thing is really, really important and we're gonna see in this passage, I think that John really teaches this and that is to treat the person with kindness and love. Treat the person with kindness and love. We can act correctly towards somebody even if our emotions don't line up. I read a book recently within the last couple of years called Servant Leadership and in it, the author really encourages us that Jesus, when he taught to love our enemies, he wasn't, he wasn't telling us to do something that's impossible. Because most people say, how in the world am I supposed to love my enemies? I have a hard enough time loving the people that I'm supposed to love, that love me. How am I loving my enemies? That's ridiculous. And yet, um, what we look, if we dig deeper into what love is, is that love is not feeling warm, fuzzy feelings towards somebody. That's not love. Thank goodness, right? You may never feel that way towards your enemy. And, and you know what? I'm not sure. Maybe it's possible. I don't know. But that's not what's required. To love your enemy means to do good to them. That's what Jesus says. Do good. Treat them correctly with kindness, with gentleness, with love. And then continue to confess the offense until your heart is softened and you can truly repent of the anger and the other emotions that you feel. Remember again, though, that your actions not your feelings are the primary, uh, are primarily what you're responsible for. I used to think I could control my emotions. I think I probably, um, that was some idealism of youth. I, I'm not sure we can control our emotions, but we can control how we respond to them. And that's, I think, what, what John is pressing us in, in this, in this passage and what Jesus is as well. Well, next, John moves to a different characteristic of this real love. And uh, it's challenging as well. It kind of moving from a difficult topic in how we react and treat other people. And uh, in one sense, right, based on um, perhaps things that have been done to us. And now he moves into a place of how we should open our lives, how we respond to the needs of others and how we react when we see a need or sense a need in another person. And so the next characteristic of real love is that real love is generous, is generous. Let's read verses 16 and 17 of this chapter. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well, sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Um, we know what real love is because Jesus demonstrated it to us. He gave completely and fully of himself. He, he poured out his life for us. And you know, Jesus didn't just offer himself as a sacrifice, which he could have done and would have been enough. But Jesus came to live with us. I mean, he opened up his life generously to us as a human race. He said, I'm gonna spend time with you. I'm gonna get into your life. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna open up my life to you and I'm gonna pour it into those that he had the opportunity to. Jesus was generous with everything. He was generous with, most importantly, with himself. And so when John presses into and again defines what real love is here, he's saying there's a generosity we should have towards each other. That yes, he indicates that if we see someone need, it should, we should be motivated to help, right? To do something about it. But even beyond that, 
there is the generosity of opening our lives and allowing people in and interacting with them and caring about them and caring for them. Um, we have a benevolence ministry here at our church and Rebecca Conrad, her um, husband Brandon have been building that and there's a team growing and it's fun to see that grow. Rebecca really has a great background and understanding and she's been growing and learning in how to help folks, how to really help folks who are struggling. We get some requests for financial assistance at times and we certainly are able to help with a lot of those, but there's, there's really a growing interest in that ministry and awareness that discipleship is really what we're supposed to be doing, the vision for our church, right? And so um, Rebecca and her team has that approach to benevolence that we really wanna oftentimes move past just financial help to real help that goes beyond that. And there's a, there's a, um, there's a generosity that comes with that and is required in order to do that. I mean, when my family and I moved down into Atlanta, Georgia, and we're living in the city and we're dealing with uh, folks I called urban campers, you know, they're, they're camping out all year round. They live in the city and they, they, um, they, they struggle in a lot of ways. And we, we first kind of tried to just throw some encouragement, right? Some love and some money at problems. And we found out very quickly that wasn't gonna solve anything. In fact, sometimes it made it worse. And so we really had to get to a point where we were willing to invest, sometimes inviting people into our homes, right? That were in that state and condition, open our lives to them, trying to build a relationship and, and really give more than just a dollar, right? And some encouragement. And so that's really what I love seeing about our benevolence ministry. It's growing in that direction that if we're gonna be compassionate, really care about people, we kind of have to move beyond what what can be helpful at times, which is a dollar, because there are real needs and, and that can be a real um, ministry. But there really is a lot more if we're gonna really help, if we're really gonna care, if we're really gonna um, put ourselves out there for people. And uh, one of my groups uh, of men, um, just this morning, guys talking about um, coming to this church and feeling that love and acceptance and warmth, you know, and just being drawn in to who we are as a representative of Jesus. And I think um, we're the perfect place to grow in that and to, to grow in our compassion for others and each other. And so it's so important that we are generous, that we're willing to give um, more again than just some help financially, which again, at times it's great, but at times that's really the wrong thing to do. Um, you know, I had to encourage folks um, in the churches I worked in in the cities that just because you see somebody kind of panhandling at a stop sign and they need some help and they're looking for cash, that may actually be the worst thing you could do if you really want to help them. And so learning and growing in that, what does it mean to be generous and how do we really help people? And taking that seriously is a big part of what we're to do as followers of Jesus. We need to love, to really love each other and to love the people around us. The last thing we see in this passage in this chapter as we conclude it is that um, we need to move to a place where we're motivated by the right things. And, uh, and I think there's, um, there's a, maybe a challenge or maybe you could say a weakness in um, certainly in this country related to our faith and how we live out our faith. And I think, I think John addresses it here next in this next section so the next characteristic or the last one we see in this passage is that real love moves beyond feelings to take action. Let's read verses 18 through 24 to conclude this chapter. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. 
Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. Moving beyond our feelings. John says here that our feelings will follow our obedience. But even if they don't match up, even if we feel guilty or we have a sense that, man, I'm not sure I've done the right thing, that God is bigger than that, right? And that he can really help us move to a place of confidence and walking in obedience is how we get there. That's how we gain confidence before God. But we wanna move to that place. We really get to that place of confidence through obedience, not through waiting for our feelings to motivate us. I noticed for myself at times, and maybe you've thought this too, uh, God, I wish you would just do something move in such a way in my community, in my church, in my home, in my life, that I would just be drawn into obedience to you. I would really just be caught up in what was happening so that my resistance and the difficulty I have sometimes with being obedient would just go away. It would melt into the background and I would be compelled just to obey you and love other people and do what you want me to do, right? I don't know about you, but I've, I've had a tendency to think that way and, and kind of wish that that would happen. But when I'm honest and I stop a minute, I recognize that's really kind of an immature faith. I'm really looking for things outside of me to compel me when really what God wants to do is transform what's inside of me, who I am, so that my motivation comes from my character and not from just my emotions. How I feel cannot guide and dictate my life. My feelings need to be the caboose, right? That brings up the, the end of the train, not what leads it. What's supposed to lead and what really leads in our lives is what we believe. What we believe is true, our convictions. And so when I recognize that I'm not walking in obedience in areas, I know that my convictions, my beliefs are where the problem is. But good thing, God is bigger than our emotions. He's bigger than our feelings. So we don't have to be motivated simply by them, but we can move and act in obedience to God um, even when we're uncertain about how we feel about it. Uh, we see this in the scriptures in the word for love in the New Testament, uh, the word agape, which is the Greek word, koine word for the love of God, unconditional love of God. Um, that word, again, looks like the church or Christians added that to the Greek language because of the love with which they loved others and the love with which they described how God loves us. And so um, the good news about that word is it's not an emotion. It's not how you feel about something, okay? It's the good news. You know what it is? It's a verb. It's an action. And so really I can walk in love and obedience regardless of how I feel. And that's the good news that I think Jesus demands of us that we love each other because he loved us. And if we're gonna be the recipients of his love, of his forgiveness, right? Of his grace, he says, you've got to hand that to other people. And as challenging as it is, it's possible. We, did, we just cannot follow our feelings. We walk in obedience. We act 
correctly. And this is what changes things in our churches and in our communities and in our homes. This conviction about how we treat each other is an important one though. I know when I first heard the gospel explained to me, I was a little kid, five years old in a VBS vacation Bible school. And my teacher, Sharon Whitworth, she explained the gospel. She used John three sixteen, and she described um, that I had sin in my life and I needed God's forgiveness. And I knew I had sin at five years old. I felt conviction about the sin. And you know what the sin was that I felt conviction about? How I was treating my brother, <laughs> you know, that wasn't treating him right. So that love for others is something that we know we should have. And it's good for us to have a sense when we're falling short there and to recognize that God expects more of us. As he grows, as the love of God grows in us, as we walk in fellowship with God, we move from jealousy to joy for others. We move from hard-heartedness to a soft-heartedness and a kindness We move from tight-fisted selfishness to generosity with our lives and our resources. And we move from following our feelings to treating others out of our conviction. You know, the Bible tells a lot and has a lot to do with this um, within it. The love of God, the forgiveness of God, and how we are to treat each other. And one of the kind of famous stories in the Bible, when Jesus was teaching and preaching and walking the countryside, there was a woman caught in adultery. She was brought before Jesus and asked, what should we do? The law says we should stone her. And so in response, Jesus, after spending some time uncomfortable, right? Uh, Just letting everybody sit with those thoughts and feelings for a little bit. He ended up saying to them, fine, you can follow the law, fulfill it. The, The person amongst you who has no sin, you can throw the first stone. And of course, this caused those leaders even, hardened leaders, to drop their stones. And I think sometimes that's what we're called to do too, is to put down our stones of revenge, of anger, of hurt, and walk in forgiveness and love.
As we end the service today, we want to take the Lord's Supper, communion. We have stations set up in the front and the back. I'd encourage you today, remember the forgiveness of God towards you, his love, his compassion, his grace. Thank him for it as you take communion. Let's uh, celebrate this together. God, thanks for your goodness to us, for your sacrifice on our behalf. Jesus, thank you for coming to live amongst us and share your life with us and to pour out forgiveness and grace and mercy on all of the human race. And Father, thank you that we're the recipients of that love and that grace and that forgiveness. And Father, I pray that you would just continue to permeate our lives with your love. Help to change us, soften our hearts, help us to be more open and generous to others. Help us to move past jealousy and unforgiveness, God. Just help us to become the people you want us to be. Thank you for making it possible through Jesus, his sacrifice for our sins. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.